Before I write the pastoral prayers each week, I read the headlines from the world, national, and local sections of several newspapers. I like the BBC and the New York Times for world news, the Washington Post for US and general political news, and the Seattle Times for what's going on around Washington. And then if there are big things happening in specific places, a hurricane off the Gulf Coast, for example, I might also read a few articles from a paper local to the issue, like in that case, the Houston Chronicle or the Times-Picayune of New Orleans. I like knowing what's going on beyond our community, not so much so that I can list the headlines for you during the prayers, though it may sometimes feel that way, but so we can stay connected to God's beloved around the world, no matter what they're going through. Otherwise, it's easy to believe that we are the center of the universe, the ones that matter most. And this survey of newspapers offers all kinds of information about climate issues and natural disasters, political unrest and war, hunger, oppression, and disease. It even suggests disasters still to come, like invasions of murder hornets and an even further decline in the treatment of immigrants and the giant earthquake that is sure to strike our area any day now. What this survey does not often offer, though, aside from the occasional win by a local sports team, is any sense of good news. As a result, multiple times in the last year, I have found myself literally Googling the words good news, and then finding myself cynical about the anecdotal evidence the internet turns up. For example, a sweet video of a younger sibling welcoming her brothers home from school. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> then there was a uh, video of American football fans saving a cat falling from a ledge in a stadium by holding out a flag to break the fall. But why was a cat in a stadium anyway? <laughs> then there's a photo of an orangutan in sunglasses. It's real cute. But is it enough to make me feel better about the four and a half million COVID deaths worldwide? Not really. And you may be out looking for good news too. Maybe you even came to church, at least in part, because you need good news. And somewhere along the line, you heard that church was a good place to find some. Indeed, that's what the gospel is. The very word that we use to describe the stories of Jesus in Scripture literally means good news. It's not the first good news we encounter in the Bible. That comes in the story of creation. But it is a brand new beginning, the best news that's ever been written. And that's why we call it gospel. But perhaps the gospel has not always felt like good news to you. Maybe what you've heard in church hasn't always sounded very good. That could be because the person teaching at the time thought that the gospel has limits that it's only good news for some people. 
and you have not been identified as one of those for whom the gospel is actually good. Or perhaps the gospel hasn't felt like good news because it's not what you wanted to hear. It's not the good news that you would write if you were in charge of such a thing. That's not out of line with the experience of folks in Jesus' day either. They were hoping for a revolution of the political sort. And instead, they got this guy who just went around healing individual people and teaching about love, which may have felt a little bit like putting sunglasses on an orangutan at the time. But I wonder if we've been approaching this good news the wrong way. Maybe in our era of fake news that requires constant vigilance and critique, we've been looking at scripture for historically verifiable facts and coming up short, searching for contradictions which would nullify its claims. When all along, the gospel is intended not to present the facts, but to present a person. Coming to the gospel is encountering the person who is good news incarnate. Opening the scriptures is an opportunity to meet Jesus himself. And this is what happens in our reading from Luke's gospel today. Jesus has gone home after his temptation in the wilderness and a quick tour around Galilee to teach in the local synagogues. And he's gone to his hometown of Nazareth, to his home church, the place he grew up. He was an observant Jew, after all, and he would not have missed the weekly gathering in the synagogue. There was a regular order of worship there. They would have experienced a familiar routine similar to what we do on Sunday mornings each week when we gather. First, they would read the Shema together, the affirmation of faith for Jews from Deuteronomy that begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that would be followed by a series of prayers and then readings from the Law and the Prophets, two sections of what we now call the Old Testament. And during Jesus' life, there was already a lectionary for the section called the Law, a three-year cycle during which people in synagogues all over would read the same text so that they could get through it over three years. But there would not have been an assigned reading from the prophets for that day. So when Jesus was invited to read and handed the scroll of Isaiah, he chose his own selection a few snippets from the prophet Isaiah. As was custom, he stood to read the text and then sat down to teach about it. And you can imagine at this point in the service, the ladies of the synagogue with sweet admiration on their faces, thinking about how Mary and Joseph's little boy has grown up and really done well for himself. They're so proud of him as they watch him read the text about good news to the poor and freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. Then he sits down and says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's when the record scratches. People are like, what did he just say? And the service actually goes south 
pretty quickly from here. But that's not nearly as important for us as what Jesus has already said. He's taken specific lines from the prophet Isaiah about liberation and comfort and hope, referencing the year of Jubilee in which Israelites would return to their ancestral lands and slaves would be freed and debts would be forgiven. And then he has said, that's actually me. I am the good news. They aren't just words anymore. They have flesh and blood. It's not just hope anymore. It's here. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy. Everything you've been waiting for begins now. And it's for everyone. You're all included. In that one line, that one quotation, Jesus shifts everything about the gospel. Suddenly, it's not just for us to learn stories or understand doctrine. Scripture is not just a way of determining who's in or who's out or who's right or who's wrong. Now the gospel is about meeting Jesus. Having an encounter with the living God who humbled himself and came near to be with us, who sat in church like one of us, scandalizing some and delighting others. And in doing this, he says to us today, you don't have to go searching for a magic way to connect with me. I'm right here, right in the pages of these stories. And maybe you're thinking, sure, that might be the case for someone like me, who reads the Bible a lot and understands more of it and really is into this sort of thing. And maybe you've tried reading the Gospels and haven't really felt like you've gotten anything out of it. If you're thinking that right now, I promise you are not alone. I can guarantee that others in this room or watching this service online are thinking the exact same thing. The Bible, even the Gospels, can feel like a completely inaccessible bunch of very old words that have little to say to us today and don't even all make sense anyway. But I would argue that if we come to the pages of the Gospels with the attitude of constant critique, that our fake news culture requires. Always looking for holes in the story, searching for contradictions, throwing out anything that doesn't make sense with our understanding of history or culture. We'll get absolutely nowhere. The Bible will just be old stories by people who lived very different lives from us, and it will never feel applicable or helpful. On the other hand, if we come to the pages of, of Scripture believing there's no more depth to it than the precise words that are written on the pages, no context, no interpretation, no community, that the words we see are to be taken literally and never questioned or thought about too much, we're not likely to get very far that way either. But if we come to the Gospels in a posture of receptivity. 
with a desire and a longing for a personal encounter with Jesus. With our hands open, ready to receive whatever he has for us in those pages. If we're willing to savor the words rather than critiquing them, we will meet Jesus there. And we'll be transformed. Because in the Gospels, we meet a Jesus who is good news to all the earth, not just a few. Who's restoring things to right, even as we speak. And who's promised to go with us and to be and share good news in the world everywhere we go. And as a bonus, in choosing these particular verses from Isaiah to read in the synagogue that day, Jesus actually gave us a rubric by which to test whether or not something is actually good news. Is it good news to the poor? And by that, he doesn't just mean financially poor, but also the poor in spirit, the downtrodden, anyone having a hard time. Because if it's only good news to the rich, then according to Jesus, it's not good news. Jesus has us ask, does it bring freedom to those who are held captive or only those who are already free? Does it illuminate the truth or put blinders over our eyes? Does it set right whatever has been wrong? Sometimes we may have trouble discerning whether something is really good news or not, whether it's for us or not. Sometimes we'll all get bogged down in the bad news, in exclusion, in critique, in perfection, and we may want to give up on the concept of good news altogether. But that's why we do this work as a community. Why we read the gospel side by side. To remind one another that Jesus came announcing deliverance that would be available to everyone. An inclusion so radical that we have to share it to receive it. Only when we include others are we part of the good news ourselves. So I'm committing today not to Google the words good news anymore. I love a picture of an orangutan in sunglasses as much as anyone. But true good news isn't found in sweet little anecdotes, as much as they may lift our spirits for a moment. Truly good news is found in the person and work of Jesus, who is good news in the flesh. And he's waiting for an encounter with each of us, with all of us right in the pages of the Gospels. Thanks be to God. Amen.